0: Hello and welcome to Resistance Radio. This is our first show of 2022. Uh, I think I got that calendar right. <laughs> uh, look, we got a lot to talk about. Obviously, as many have talked about, uh, this is the anniversary of the uh, Capitol riot, uh, and we'll we'll address that a little bit. Of course, we are in the thick of things with the Omicron variant of uh, of COVID nineteen. I know that I have. Currently, have family members who uh, who have tested positive, um, so it's it's a, it's an issue that continues to be nearer and dearer to my heart. Um, and and look, I, I let me start off. Uh, I do have something I want to address first, uh, the first part of the show. Um, and as those of you who may have seen the uh, my my Facebook post here. Uh, I'm, I'm basically uh, trying to refute some of the, the notion of karma. But before I do that, let me, as always, remind people that we are listener support radio. We count on your support. We depend on your support for both WBAI here in New York City and, um, and of course, on WPFW in Washington, D.C. I am privileged to be carried by by these two stations and, uh, and a couple of other uh, affiliates as well. So I appreciate that. Um, and and look, we desperately depend on you, uh, and, and especially you know while we're while we're seeing such uh, economic upheavals and that kind of stuff, I realize that some people may or may not have the resources to support uh, this this great station or these great stations. But if you do, uh, and if you are currently supporting and can do more. We greatly appreciate it, and and so let me let me start off by giving the uh, the, the pledge lines and uh, for uh, for WBAI it's two one two two zero nine two nine five zero. Look, I'm I have shied away personally. I have shied away from the the idea of premiums, and I have really tried to my best to deliver for you um, the best show that Regan and I are capable of delivering, and. And it's been a challenge during this this whole COVID nineteen thing. It, we have done remote shows. I'm doing it remote right now from the Cattaraugus Territory, of Seneca Nation. Regan has has basically chimed in from Line Three in Minnesota. Um, but this is this is our product. This is what we are we are delivering to you. Is is this program? So whether you're listening on WBAI, um, we or on WPFW, we really really implore you to support these stations. And again, the number for WBAI, the pledge line is 212-209-2950. That's 212-209-2950. You can go online to give to WBAI.org, or you can just go to the regular uh, website, which is WBAI.org and follow the prompts there. If you're listening in Washington, D.C., I ask you to go to their pledge line which is 202-588-9739 or go online to wpfwfm.org and follow their prompts for making uh, a donation. And look, if you do it in the name of the station I you know we greatly appreciate it. And and it, it you know there's there is a bit of a score sheet. I mean there's an expectation that this show is going to generate a certain amount of revenue. Um we are not a big revenue generating Program, we know that, and uh, but for those of you who do listen, and I, look, I want to give uh, thanks to to those of you who stepped up, especially while we've been doing the Tower Fund as well, which is, uh, I assume, Reggie, are we still doing the the Tower Fund drive as well? Uh, I think in some ways we are. Uh, it's I, I, from what I've been told, it's not as pronounced because, as you know, we are always in a constant need of assistance financially in this radio station. Tower so, fund regardless, right? Yes. Tower yeah. fund rent here at
1: 388 Atlantic Avenue and everything else in between.
0: So, so, uh, well, and again, yeah. just like with PFW, we, um uh, we know that these stations are listener supported stations and we count Correct. on your support for, um, you know, you know, to keep us on the air and to, and to allow, unique and distinct programs like Resistance Radio with John and Regan to you know to come into your home, to come into your car, to come across your Alexa, however you, you are listening. So uh, look, if, if you are listening on these uh, these these um, radio bands, then by all means support the radio station you're listening to. If you're listening online or uh, via Alexa or whatever else, uh, make the choice. But either way, we need your support. We need your support for the stations that are responsible for bringing Resistance Radio to you. All right. Again, first first show of the year. Um, I I know it, it, 2020 was a terrible year. 2021 was a terrible year. And I look, I'm always going to hold out hope that we're going to begin to do the things that we need to do. But, you know, there's this... This idea of karma, which has been really terribly appropriated from, <laughs> from another culture. Uh, and the way it's interpreted these days is that somehow the evildoers will will pay. If you've done wrong, you are going to have to pay. Look, and whether you know, people associate this with some sort of judgment day in in other and another various, or other various faiths or whether they just think that there's somehow some planetary equilibrium that is going to cancel out the wrongs that are done it doesn't quite work that way look there are some some terrible things that have happened to very very good people and you know and we all know people like that we've all lost loved ones prematurely to disease or accidents or you know you know some sort of tragedy we also know that there are some people who are terrible human beings um, that get elected as president. No, <laughs> sorry, uh, There are terrible human beings that that never seem to pay a price personally, anyway, or directly for their evil doings. You know, and and one of the things that I that I hear all the time is that. You know, when we talk about things like man destroying the planet and, you know, oftentimes one of the responses to that is, look, you're not destroying the planet. The planet will do fine without man. And in fact, if, if man gets wiped out, the planet will recover. And I agree with that. If, if, if man does get wiped out, you know, become, goes extinct, the planet will survive fine. In fact, it'll heal up from all the terrible things that mankind has done to the planet. But here's the reality. Man is not going to drive itself into extinction. And man, I mean mankind, human human beings. I mean, it's entirely possible that the tragedies that we are um, creating, these global calamities that we are creating, whether it's war, whether it's pestilence, whether it's climate change, whether it's you know the this infighting and you know some of the the racist and social injustice, all of the terrible things that man does throughout the planet it's entirely possible that, that mankind, and, and I will say likely that the current trend of population explosion and consumption capitalism will, um, I'm not even saying it's going to fail. What I'm saying is that it will not continue the way it's going. So, I mean, look, uh, for those of you who are, are Marvel fans, I mean, uh, is there going to be uh, the snap of a finger and a blip where half of the population uh, is eliminated all, all at once? No, not likely. It'll, it'll happen over time. But here's the thing. If Thanos snaps his fingers and half the population you know, were to just disappear and float off, there are still going to be the haves and have-nots. There are still going to be the one-percenters, the elite, and they're still going to oppress the... The, uh, the 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 people that they view as beneath them look you know i've heard it said that if there was some calamity that would you know wipe out you know a massive amounts of population or you know or destroy infrastructure it's those it's it's the indigenous people the, the indigenous people who are closest to to understanding how to live on the earth that will survive but we're not the only ones Look, there are there is that elite class that has found ways to exploit people for millennia. and those people not all of them look look when, when some great tragedy bestows the planet, rich people are gonna die, rich people will perish, but most of the people who will perish will be the the people who have been oppressed historically now and that rich elite class that 1% will always be 1% and maybe 1% of a smaller population but they're still going to exploit people like you and me and that is why so i'm saying this in, in this this kind of dystopian future you know kind of narrative that is why we can't expect divine intervention or planetary alignment or your know, some sort of natural selection that's going to natural selection doesn't choose a specific person based on character there's you know everything's done on a percentage basis right it's kind of like taking the vaccine you don't know if the vaccine is going to help you individually but when you look at it over over uh, uh, you know the spread of a population you can you can extrapolate numbers well whatever is going to happen because as the result of climate change whatever's going to happen as a result of the next variant or the next you know, um pandemic or the next global conflict you know look there was a time that we all you know really were made aware of the fear of a, of a of a nuclear um war i mean we used to do these ridiculous things like be told to put our head be- underneath our desks when we were kids in school. Now, the young people haven't experienced this, but but my generation did. We we did these civil defense drills where we went into a place that was supposed to be safe. Do you know where, w- the place that's safe, if, uh, if, if there's a nuclear strike? No place. So, look, we have to act now. And you know, look, I, we, we enter into a new year, but we have to do the things today to address the inequities. Because there is not going to be some planetary alignment that's going to do it for us. Karma is not going to fix what is wrong with humanity or the lack of humanity. You know, the, the planet will heal itself. But if it heals itself by by wiping out some big percentage or even, even some nominal percentage of human life. And, and trust me humans are going to take an awful lot of other parts of creation with uh, you know with us but even if that happens we still will need to deal with the inequity we still need to need to deal with the injustice we still have to stop the exploitation you know of, of the planet not because with a re- look with a reduced population there's no question that, that the planet can heal itself but you know what if we continue on the path that we are even in a reduced population situation we are continuing the oppression we are continuing the the exploitation of, of land and water and air and yeah while it i absolutely agree and believe that if if there was a significant reduction of population and i'm not trying to spin a conspiracy theory that that has anything to do with a manufactured pandemic so don't even go there but we all know that the, the the course that we are on is unsustainable. And so because it's unsustainable, something has to give. And what's driving this this unsustainability is mankind, is it, it's human beings. We are the drivers of the damage that is hap- that we're inflicting upon ourselves and uh you know and other parts of creation. And the ultimate answer will be some sort of reduction in, certainly a reduction in the lifestyles that, we, that we've grown accustomed to. But we still have to deal with the inequity. We still have to deal with the disparity. We still have to deal with oppression and racism and, and, and so much you know, that continues to this day. The world is not a better place than it was 100 years ago. It isn't. Let's be honest. I mean, when, when I hear, you know, I just had a big conversation with somebody about the 1619 Project and, 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 and how offensive it is that, that, that the expression that's going, going along with that, and look, I'm, I'm in favor of the 1619 Project. Let me just say that from the beginning. But to suggest that, that slavery tied to that date is, is America's original sin Native people were being enslaved long before that, folks. And genocide was, the beginnings of of genocide on this hemisphere began long before 1619. And there is going to ultimately be a cost, not because of divine intervention, just because of of, of natural balance. But that natural balance, it's just like a pandemic doesn't care who it infects. When... There is an imbalance. That imbalance doesn't go to individuals to select who gets to, who gets to stay and who has to go. So look, I know this is a tough conversation. And I've been one of those people who have participated in the conversation that says, you know, at some point the planet's just going to reject us. But I never wanted to say that with, and give the impression that we don't need to do anything because the planet will take care of it we still need to take care of our behavior no matter what happens or or if nothing happens. And in fact, if we begin to take care of what we're doing and, and hold ourselves accountable for what we're doing, we may prevent some calamity. Not all of it. Look, we're off the cliff. Make no mistake about it. We've run this car off the cliff. The question is, you know, how, how big is that cliff? I mean, how much damage are we going to do? And if we're sitting back because of some belief in divine intervention, or that perhaps we, you know, some people believe that, that end of days is, is a necessity uh, because of their, their religious beliefs, or they believe that what happens here on, the, on earth doesn't matter because of the afterlife or whatever else, or because, you know, it, it, it's God's will no matter what well all of this stuff including the you know some of the the blind commitment to just prayer as a native person i know that our people have been taught to pray for for hundreds of years and yet we're still involved in, in much of this uh, much of this conflict and much of much of this 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 turmoil so look i'm not trying to scare anybody Or tell anybody something they don't don't always know already know. But I'm not afraid of human extinction. I'm afraid that even in some horrific tragedy that would begin to balance the population imbalance that exists and the consumption imbalance, that human beings still won't fix their their underlying problems their underlying greed, their underlying power grabs and need to oppress others. Or subscribe or submit to this notion that perhaps we do believe that there is a hierarchy that allows some human beings to be superior, to live better lives and to exploit others. Because look, there's a whole lot of people in the United States today who believe that there, that there is some sort of genetic superiority. Many of them voted for Trump, and many of them still support him, even in on this day, the anniversary of what took place at the Capitol. And, and, and you know, look, people can characterize it however they want. They can call it an insurrection. They can call it a riot. They can call it you know, whatever they want to call it. But at the end of the day, there are... A lot of Republican politicians, and a whole lot of white folks, who are who still today are justifying what took place on Je- on January 6th a year ago, and they're justifying Trump as the president. and And the crazy part is, and and I somehow this still gets missed. And I listened to Harris and I listened to Biden today, and what still gets missed is the only reason the result of the election was close is because the system is so screwed up between gerrymandering and, and the electoral college. I mean, Trump only needed a, you know 30,000 votes in spite of the fact that he lost by millions, I think, what, seven million votes? I mean, he lost to Hillary Clinton in the popular vote by two million votes, but still won the presidency. It's because the system is that flawed. And nobody's gonna fix it. There is no real effort to fix it. And in fact, as we see here today, there are more laws restricting voting than, than ever. And, and restricting a vote that gets manipulated through uh, through how they gerrymander districts, voting districts, how electoral college votes are. I mean, a year ago, there was the real possibility that if enough Republicans, including the, the, the sitting vice president at the time, that they could have defied their, not defied democracy. I mean, that's the other thing that I, I got, I've got to address. And I know, I know Reagan wants to weigh in on this thing as well. But this, when I, when I listen to both Harris and Biden talk about that the underlying, you know, that, that rule of law is what protects democracy. No, it doesn't. Rule of law is a part of what, the United States is a republic, it's not a democracy. And the difference between a democracy and a republic is a republic says, in the creation of a republic, you create a document, you create rule of law. And you say, this is what we cannot do. As a government, this is what citizens, cannot do as individuals when they're depriving uh, you know, the life and liberty and pursuit of happiness or whatever else of other individuals. They did that all while, while slavery was legal, by the way, and while theft of, of native lands was legal, by the way. But rule of law is not a function of democracy because most people never get to vote on what those rules are. They don't get to vote on the Constitution. They don't get to vote on on the laws that are passed. Look, a funny thing happened a week or so ago. Weekends ready. Okay, great. And I and I'm we're going to get back on uh, to talking about the both the, the capital riot. But you know the the National Defense Authorization Bill gets passed every you know every time it's out. and and both parties support it. This idea of spending trillions of dollars. On creating the ability to kill people, because that's what you're doing when you're when you're funding the, the military. But you know what happens is they stick these riders uh, on them, and oftentimes they stick a rider that's got nothing to do with 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 funding the military. And you know, oftentimes they'll they'll take native land. They'll 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 guys like McCain and Flake. They actually the whole idea of turning um, na- native ancestral land into a, a potential. Um, Copper mine for another country? Yeah, that was that was stuck on the on the back end of a of a um, National Defense Authorization Act. But you know, a funny thing happened this time. There was an attempt to attach to the NDAA a bill that has been floated around. Warren was one of the ones that floated it around. and it's called the Remove the Stain Act. And I, Regan, I'm not sure if you're how familiar you are with the with the Remove the Stain Act. Um,
1: um, I'm actually not.
0: Okay, so what the Remove the Stain Act is? It is a bill that attempts to rescind the medals of honor that were issued for the massacre of Wounded Knee.
1: Oh yes, of course.
0: And and one, and why that, that I find that one of the one of the reasons I find that particularly offensive is in Niagara Falls there is a veterans um, memorial with this nicely modern polished granite stone. That is honoring one of the uh, one of one of the 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 Medal of Honor recipients for the massacre at Wounded Knee in uh, mm-hmm. in, in Niagara Falls. So I mean, it, it's a local thing. So that guy's from here, from from this the area, Seneca Territory essentially, Tuscarora ter- Territory, um, who was a part of the military that that massacred. He was actually in the language that his superiors wrote. They talked about his. Uh, about him shooting native people in a ditch or in a ravine, unarmed native people in a ravine, and that somehow warranted him getting this this medal of honor. And so the Remove the Stain um, Act or bill is uh, is an attempt to rescind those those medals. And and I don't know how many I I want to say there's 19 of them, something along those lines. And they tried to attach it to the uh, National Defense Authorization Act. This, year, this time. And you know what? The House did it and the Senate didn't include it. So even though well, this I is... Wanna,
1: a, I think that...
0: Go ahead. Oh, go, go ahead. ahead. No, Sorry. please. Go ahead.
1: Well, I, I was going to say I want to connect it to what's happening right now um, in Hawaii in terms of um, for those who are unfamiliar, uh, obviously, you know, the, the Navy occupies a large portion of Hawaii and uh, there was a major leak by the Navy um, that, conami- that contaminated the um Oahu's water supply.
0: Oh, did we just lose you?
1: Yeah. Okay. That, uh, yeah. I'll oh,
0: come back. Come back. All right. You're back. Go ahead.
1: So, yeah. So there was a there was a big action outside of the Hawaii State, Honolulu on December 10th, which included like a number of uh, of water protectors who are bringing you know asking for the the closing or demanding rather the closing of this uh, this Navy site. And so we can even see, you know, when it when we talk about the violence that the U.S. military has caused on indigenous communities, um, it's still it's ongoing. It's still continuous. Like this is an this is an ongoing fight right now. Um, that's you know that folks should become more involved with. Uh, but there's been you know like the U.S. public health officials are supposed to be investigating specifically how this leakage has uh you know poisoned indigenous communities, and you know the conversation is ongoing right now. And obviously there's a there's a number of uh the number of calls to action. So I wanted to make sure that that's something that we highlight as well in terms of that this ongoing violence that the military has on indigenous communities is it's prevalent, it's contemporary, it's not something of the past.
0: Well, it and I'm glad I'm glad
1: you brought up the
0: future. I'm glad you brought up Hawaii because what what I think people have to realize is that the navy one of its vessels was involved in the coup that allowed a select group of white people to declare them de- declare that the Ho- kingdom of hawaii was no more and it was now the republic of hawaii and the yeah. navy uh, w- and and there's some di- dispute on on how much authorization they had from the sitting president at the, at the t- at the time but the navy was involved in that coup and but let's put it in perspective this was in 1893 and keep in mind the massacre of wounded knee was a mere three years before that. So yes. fresh on the minds of people throughout the world, including native people in Hawaii, was this was this atrocity that the United States was still very, very committed to committing against native people. So this, and while some will call what took place in Hawaii a bit of a bloodless coup, it wasn't. It wasn't without without blood it wasn't without without
1: extreme loss oh, without dis, extreme you know destruction loss. of community and land consider how hawaii has been so negatively and adversely affected by tourism due to covid, due to COVID outbreak in the terms of people continuously traveling there
0: well between the military and, risk, and the military and this between and the, the tour- us military and, the tourism, and tourism um hawaii has Hawaii-ed. been essentially obliterated yeah. from what from the paradise that it once was and and the ironic part is that was in, again, 1893. During the Clinton administration, there was actually a joint resolution of Congress that apologized for it. They didn't do a goddamn thing to change it or rectify it or mm-hmm. fix it or reverse it or restore anything. But they did this apology. And 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 here's the reason I, I bring that up. A joint resolution of Congress is... Um, is the kind of thing that gets done when they wanna declare something a holiday. Maybe they wanna name a ship or something like that. It, it is not the same as passing legislation. It's a resolution, it's not legislation. And after that 1993 joint resolution of, uh, of Congress to apologize for the role the United States played in toppling um, the Hawaiian kingdom, Hawaiian, some of the Hawaiian folks had tried to use that resolution in a legal proceeding about some sort of land use and land claims issue. And the Supreme Court said, joint resolutions of Congress have no force of law. So it was inadmissible. What makes this thing so incredibly sickening and ironic is that the way Hawaii was annexed by the United States was completely unlawful. It was done through a joint resolution of Congress. And what it has, what's, what the process is, is that the, the stakeholders, the Hawaiian people, must ask to be annexed. They must enter into an annexation treaty with the United States, and that treaty must be approved by two-thirds of the Senate, not a joint resolution sure. of Congress. And it was a joint re- In fact, it was a congressman from, from Texas who said, you are basically um, making us do something that is illegal here in, in, in annexing Hawaii. And they just did it. So but a it joint still resolution done. of Congress yeah, you know, it had, was still done. it has a joint resolution of Congress had the force of law to steal a kingdom, uh, steal a, a government, a nation from, uh, from its people. And yet <laughs> a, a joint resolution of Congress apologizing for that theft has no force of law to even be entered. In. I mean, this is the absurdity of, of it all. So, I mean, I know this is kind of a, a tangent, but, and I'm, but I'm glad you, you brought it up because look, we fully support what the native Hawaiian people um, are, start, the, the Kanaka Maoli are trying to do. And, and they are trying to, frankly, as we speak today, they continue to try to hold the international community that recognized their independence and their sovereignty before the United States violated, but sat there quietly and did nothing when the United States overtook, and through its military, through its navy, <laughs> that is now contaminating, continues to ca- contaminate the island. Um, that this this is how Hawaii was. That's this is how Hawaii be, was taken from the Hawaiian people. And and I think it also might, yeah, might be think... noted that that 70 percent of the Hawaiian of the people, Hawaiian Native Hawaiian people, um, can't afford to live in Hawaii. And they've been displaced. Yeah. Many of them dispersed throughout the continent because of um, because what the military and tourism has done to their precious homeland.
1: Yeah, it's really, it's really, you know, I'm really glad that you gave the history of the annexation of Hawaii because it is, um, it is such a, it's something that people don't really like. Like we learn about it in school in a very particular lens. In the same way that we learn about how, you know, Alaska was Seward's folly. And, you know, it's like... It's a very uh, contrived version of of history, and so it's imperative that we talk about what it actually looks like. And when Hawaii was, you know, illegally annexed by the U.S., and there was, was no annexation treaty, there, there, there are yeah, statues. There are statues
0: of William McKinley. In fact, there's a school that they call that the the, the Hawaiians are trying to get changed. I don't know what the status of that is, but it's called William McKinley High School. There's a statue of William McKinley, and there's I think there's two of them in the islands that has him standing there with this rolled up. Document and it says annexation treaty on it, and of course, it's not true. There was no annexation treaty, and in fact, it was Grover Cleveland who who fully acknowledged that there was no um, legal annexation treaty. This was something that 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 a few white guys had put together who claimed that they had you know basically toppled the kingdom through the use of the U.S. military to now claim that they were a republic and. And the reason that they wanted to be annexed was because they were sugar plantation farmers. They they had sugar plantations yeah. and they knew if they were annexed, they would not be charged a duty. I mean, it, it all comes down to money. It all comes down to what I was talking about earlier at the beginning of the show is this unquenchable thirst for uh, unsustainable capitalism. And, and of course, capitalism is unsustainable anyway, is what is driving yeah, no matter what. so much of. What is happening, what is damaging um, so much life on on the planet and 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 while I agree, the solution is ultimately going to be um, probably tragic. It, it's probably going to be tragic before the the planet can begin to heal itself but but I, I, I have to reaffirm what I said in the beginning we we if we just sit back and let it happen, we won't fix it going forward even if our population was diminished even if you know the planet could somehow curtail human activity enough so, so the planet could begin to heal itself if we don't take care of our responsibility we will allow oppression racism violence the rape of human beings the rape of uh, other life the rape of the planet to continue and maybe the planet will be sustainable for a while but if we don't ever act to end this disparity, we will just continue the cycle.
1: Well, you know, it's like so important to say, to, to push back on that narrative that, um, you know, curtailing human life in some way would make a difference because in fact, that's, you know, argue, that, that's often the basis of most eco-fascist um, methodologies and theories, including, you know, the Thomas Malthus theory that like we will outlive, uh, that resources will will. Become less, and therefore human life will become less. When the reality is that there's plenty of access, uh, there's uh, access to resources that are being withheld by the elite. Which yeah. so we know that it's actually not a population issue, um, and how problematic that conversation even is, but rather that this is a methodology issue that mm-hmm. people have adopted. Um, you know, whether it's settler colonialism or capitalism, or um, you know, arguably they are uh, they always work uh, mm-hmm. with one another. Uh, I think it's just such an important conversation for folks to understand that, like, this is based in uh, in continued oppression. That with or without uh, certain circumstances, we will continue to hurtle towards this very uh, apocalyptic future because of the methodologies that have been adopted.
0: And, and that's exa- because, that's exactly my point. Uh,
1: it's not exactly, you know, this is not because. We are inherently bad people. This is not because it's you know the the coming of the, of Christ or anything like that. It has nothing to do, in fact, with the uh, with the population density. It has the, it, like that's not the reality. Uh, the reality is that the, we find ourselves in this predicament because of colonialism and capitalism. And I think of that so distinctly when we consider that. You know, to tie back in these conversations, conversations of interconnectedness, to tie back in the U.S. military. You know, it's important that folks understand that the U.S. military pollution is so significant that it's one of the largest contributors to climate change. Yeah. Um, I remember reading online. Uh, there was this report that came out in, in 2019. Of course, I forgot the name of it, but it, it had said that the the U.S. military was one of the largest um, climate polluters in history that the US consumed more liquid fuels and emitted more CO2 than than most countries. The US military consumed and emitted on a larger scale than most countries. Like that blew my mind. Yeah. And then to consider where the US military is stationed and how it impacts the land. It's largely in obviously on indigenous land, but largely close to indigenous communities as well. Well, um, and I that think doesn't excellent...
0: that doesn't even address some of the the damage the military does not only with with dropping yeah. two atomic bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, but all of I mean, I I once saw this um, this graphic done that showed every um, nuclear weapon that was um, uh, ignited or deployed. I guess uh, mo- and most it's almost all testing. Only one country has ever used a nuclear weapon to to kill people, and that was the United States. But they showed. United also, States blowing you know, um, them up, Russia, uh, all, all these other countries. And it's, it, and it looks like popcorn at some point because it, they, they try to condense it to where you can see every explosion throughout the globe. And it's, it's remarkable.
1: Yeah. I mean, we cannot ignore that. The, mili- the U S military is a huge might and a huge consumer of uh, energy, and therefore a huge emitter of that energy as well. You know, I think that if, If folks could make that connection, there would be significantly less uh, support of, you know, the military, less support of growth of military budgets. In the same way that we hope to bring forward and radicalize people by talking about police violence and police budgets, it's the same conversation. The military is not divorced from these conversations of continued colonial violence. In fact... Uh, it is necessary for continued colonial violence for the military. It's so, and it's
0: always been its the driver be of started. colonialism. I mean it's of always been it a military action, right? I mean from the from the yeah. very beginning. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean absolutely like the military is not divorced from these conversations of continued genocide. And I also see that in our communities. You know, there's a lot of like veteran pride, a lot of like native veteran pride. And it's you know it's a difficult pill to swallow. Um in a lot of spaces and it's a, it's not a conversation that's like necessarily uh, embraced in our communities as well, though. Definitely one to talk about is how also, you know, how, 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 how have indigenous people participated in the genocide of other indigenous people elsewhere because of adopting, you know, the role of, uh, you know, militarism as something of like a warrior society. I do want to
0: address, I do want to address this, this anniversary, but before I do that, I got to bring up one other thing because, you know, you, you again, talking about the military um, we are in 2022 and the UN has designated 2022 um, and through 2032 as the decade of indigenous languages and oh. many countries throughout the world you know have have endorsed this now don't get me I'm not trying to get excited about this but what's worth noting is the United States would not sign on to um, any kind of international effort for the restoration or, or the preservation of, of indigenous languages, and and it's you know, which
1: is just continued genocide. The U. Like that is just genocide. Well, and
0: and the fact that they use native languages in this in this whole glorification of code talkers and that kind of stuff, and yes, and, and, you know, oh, so God. the irony of the United States, and every time they gonna they're gonna sign something, every time they're gonna do some you know parade Deb and they're gonna parade a couple of native veterans they're going to you know talk about the code talkers which was really not any kind of preservation it was actually the continuation of the killing of our language because the less people who spoke our languages the more secure their code was but this was exactly so this idea that they <laughs> u- militarized our language and even today still today even with anti <laughs> deb sitting at the interior department the united states won't even and, and not that I'm excited about it, but again, they won't even endorse an a international effort to, for, to restore and preserve native languages. Which means, by the way, oftentimes if the United States doesn't, in, doesn't sign on to one of these campaigns, one of these commissions, it means they will prevent any international support for indigenous languages in what the United exactly. States considers it's, their territory. That's, all. Oh, it's just, I'm, it's infuriating.
1: Unfortunately, the U.S. sets precedent for a number of people, and also we know like that, that the politics and the pol- and the thoughts of the U.S. unfortunately have such an an adverse global effect. Um, and it's just it's you know it's gross to see that this is how it's being handled. And I also think that oh god, there's so much to unpack here. <laughs> I also think that um, considering the lack of endorsement of you know. Uh, a decade of indigenous languages, making a decade of action for indigenous language, just really, really hammers home how much uh, the U.S. is uh, continuing the genocide of indigenous people. Like this is part. If you look at what genocide, how genocide is defined, the destruction of our languages is part of that. Sure. And so it's so obvious that that is the intention, and there's no way to escape it. Now, why does this? Why is this not surprising? Because we can even look at the proclamation that Biden made on Indigenous Peoples Day, in which his entire proclamation only celebrated Indigenous people that had assimilated. Exactly. It was an assimilation
0: veterans. stamp. Absolutely. So,
1: exactly. So, he, you know, he even in this proclamation, it was all, you know, we're so proud of how Indigenous people have participated in American society. We're so proud of how Indigenous people have participated in the larger American identity. It's never... In, in any way respecting the actual sovereignty of indigeneity, which would never fall under patriotism or Americanism. Like, that's so absurd. Um, but that, you know, the entire proclamation was like, we're so proud of our indigenous veterans. Yeah. We're so proud of the code talkers. But, the, but as you said, the code talkers were successful because our languages were murdered. Like, they were and are, and, and some are completely extinct. Yeah, and some will continue to be, go down that trajectory. So to even celebrate this ideology that indigenous languages have somehow furthered Americanism and furthered imperialism and military might is just so um, yeah, so out of pocket. it was just it's exploited so, like our lands, so, like
0: our people, like and, and like exactly so many other people. It's a resource. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, and all right. Let's let, make resources.
0: We only got a few minutes left. Purposefully. We we only got a few minutes left, and I I know you wanted to weigh in. And, and frankly, I I just watched this this debacle unfold as you know over what took place a year ago in Washington D.C. And it's, I mean, it's there's there's a level of absurdity that is so strong here that it makes it, I mean, it you know, and it's not funny, but it's laughable. So give, give me your yeah. thoughts. I mean obviously you you heard probably heard some of what what Biden had to say, but at the end of the day they they still shy away from the fact that the whole system is so flawed that even though supposedly, you know and I'm, and I'm not questioning the, the 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 tally, but even though Biden won by 7 million votes, 30,000 votes the other way in in key spots would have kept Trump in office just like when Hillary Clinton beat him by, uh, by two million votes. That's how yeah. screwed up the system I, is that they're still maintaining. Sorry. Um, what I was
1: saying, what I, what I really hate is I'm seeing people's reactions uh, the one-year anniversary of these riots online. Um, and people are still using this language that what a shameful moment in history, how embarrassing it is. And for me, that's what I get the most frustrated about is that a lot of these people are leftist or liberal or quote-unquote progressive white folks who will say things like, oh, I, I'm ashamed of this part of history. room. I'm embarrassed. This is not what America looks like. But th- that is the reality, you know? It is that what is America looks like, America. yeah. Yeah, exactly. White people don't get to divorce themselves from the white people who were there at the Capitol. Um, you know, there, there were people from all spectrums of whiteness, and everyone is complicit in that. You know, you don't get to exercise your privilege further by attempting to make space between... The, the us and the them or the you and the them, when the reality is that all, all everyone is participating in upholding this narrative that this is not what America is, when the fact is that is what America is, right? People don't need to delegitimize the reality of what this country is. And they don't need to delegitimize the events of what happened at the at the Capitol when they perpetuate the same ideals. For example, Biden does not need to delegitimize the reality of what happened or that the Capitol was this, like, once in a, you know, was spurred on by Trump when he maintains all of the same Trump policies. Exactly. You know, like, there is no difference between the two of them in terms of policies. They have maintained the same violent policies. Actually, more people um, are imprisoned in these concentration camps on the border uh, by the Biden administration than ever under the Trump administration. More people have been violently deported under the Biden administration. More people have died of COVID under the Biden administration. So for Biden to sit here and delegitimize the reality of what has happened in this country, and in fact, he perpetuates all of the same ideals.
0: I mean, he, um, what, what, one Trump of the first is, things he did in his debacle of, uh, of you know, pulling out of Afghanistan was, was launch a drone strike that turned out to be... Um, <laughs> Hitting the wrong target and killed a bunch of innocent people. I mean, this is, this yes. is, like, this is continuous.
1: People do not, white people specifically do not get to escape their inherited status as oppressors just because they're embarrassed by some proud boys. Yeah. Or, or, or a
0: moment on television. Yeah.
1: Exactly. When in fact, the issues are in your community, the issues are you, the issues are you continuing to be on our land. Like the issues are continuing to be complicit towards settler colonialism. And the issue is that you continue to participate in a politic that that serves no one except for the white elite. So I don't quite understand where the disconnect is in terms of how folks can try to divorce themselves or delegitimize the events at the Capitol when they are so part of that issue still, that the Biden administration is so part of that issue still. So for him to be making these comments was for me incredibly frustrating but also I was hoping would lead to more of an awakening and more reactions but in fact I've seen the opposite online people seem to be like adopting that language more so and still continuing with this idea of what a shameful time that was and how it's Trump's fault.
0: Well and and the, and the only ones who are who are truly expressing any regret are the ones who are trying to keep them well uh, keep keep themselves out of prison all of these weepy guys getting yes, up there saying how much remorse serious. they have they were they were still promoting all their roles and all of this in the weeks after this happened and you know it, it, so the the whole thing is it, it is just so much it, it is such trash i mean it, it really is and and you know I'm, and yeah. and you're right there are a whole lot of people who are complicit in what took place there even even if they claim they voted a different way, they still end up being complicit in it because it's family members, it's it's friends, it's people. They won't hold the task. Nobody is held accountable for the oppression, exactly. for the racism, for the the bigotry, for the, the the sexism, misogyny, all of it. Nobody is held accountable for it ever.
1: Yeah, you don't. As I said, you don't get to escape your status as an an oppressor, just because you're embarrassed. Those are your uncles. Those are your cousins. Those are people, you know, you know, people like that in your life and have not held them accountable. And therefore you're cut from the same colonial cloth. And I can't try to, um, I can't, I, I hate seeing people react online who are still holding the Biden administration at a different, um, at a different level of accountability than the Trump administration when they are maintaining the exact same policies. The, the reason that people can't hold themselves to that, to, can't hold Biden accountable is because then they'd have to hold themselves accountable to just sit there and see how they're complicit in the continued events of
0: Seller Colonial. And I do go back to the NDAA because there, there are Democrats that were all in with spending $7 trillion on the military again. So-
1: of course. I mean it,
0: it just never I, one one last thing I got to mention is there was also um Governor Kathy Hochul's um state of the state address. And and there's just a part of me as I listened to her in her roundabout way condemning um Andrew Cuomo uh, and and what took place in you know in that administration. She was a part of that administration. And and again, it's this whole idea that people don't get held accountable even as they continue to act and behave and do the same things that the previously now condemnable uh, individuals, you know, were responsible for. So, um, I mean, again, as I, as I listened to some of what she had to say, it was like, are you kidding me? You're not going to take any responsibility for the fact that the reason you're even sitting there isn't just because Cuomo had to resign. He put you in that spot, essentially, you know, from the from the very beginning, yeah. and it's like, oh, oh, I, I, I'm, oh, it's just, it, again, it's infuriating. Well,
1: I feel, I also feel that we can't end the show without at least mentioning Mayor Adams' comments um, on the in, in on his interview. What was it, two days ago or a day ago now? Um, <laughs> yesterday, and what he said. Oh, yesterday. Thank you. Yeah, God, it was a day. Yeah, and what he said in terms of load skilled workers, and, uh, um, you know, just such an elitist. Such an elitist statement, just so classist. I really feel like it, we we would be remiss to not at least uh, acknowledging that uh, Mayor Adams
0: is uh, garbage. I mean, what? Just the idea that a cop got elected as the uh, you know, as the oh, mayor. Oh God, York, I it's can't. Like, it, I I don't know. The, the whole thing is just just crazy. But here we are, 2022. We let's yeah. let's ride this one out and see see where we end up. <laughs> Oh, for oh my, you
1: know, it's just like such a reminder that you know, even in New York City, there, where people really, you know, there's this like really uh wrong ideology that the New York City is like incredibly uh, op- like uh, accepting and tolerant of different peoples. You know, it's a real, it's a really good reminder that you know, yeah, there are still problems in the and the Northeast, that even this liberal city is uh, maintains and placates incredibly horrible classist behavior including Mayor Adams' comments on, on low-skill workers and their need to get back to work during the global
0: pandemic. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I, I actually almost forgot. I, I did hurt hear the comment, and, and it's like, but oh, honestly, God. I almost expect some of this stuff out of, out of this guy. And, you know, I, I think, you know, one of the guys of that Of course, I,
1: he's a cop. Of course, he's a cop.
0: <laughs> one, one of the guys that I, that I follow on Twitter, his name is uh, – um, um, Frederick Joseph, he, uh, he he's done done some great stuff. He he's the guy who who did a, the whole article about wearing his Caucasian shirt through New York and Manhattan and that kind of thing. But but Frederick, he said my first tweet of the new year, and he said, "F Mayor Adams." <laughs> yeah, God, absolutely. Oh. And then oh, I, I, I watch it, all the people it. jump on him for it. It's like no, I'm I'm with you on that one. So uh, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? Well, Regan, uh, this is it. We started the new year. We'll, we're gonna continue to do this stuff. We got a lot of stuff, you know. Obviously, that we're look, we, we've we've got challenges. We've got challenges, and and you know, one of the things that I, I'm gonna continue to push because I know there's going to be some um, pressure for the this administration to begin some sort of addressing of the of the. Um, uh, residential schools and i refuse to accept reconciliation i want restoration and we're going to talk more about that throughout the year
1: i want revenge
0: well the same thing <laughs> <laughs> all right regan as always great um i wish you a happy new year and uh we'll we'll see where, where we get with this thing reggie again thanks again for your tremendous support and your and your help here. And uh, let's let's do this. This is John Kane for Regan Delagantes and Reggie Johnson. This is Resistance Radio. Yahweh.